We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. Well, I'd like you to look here at Mark in chapter 1 and verse 21. Stay with me here. Um, Mark, if you've been following along, has been, it, it writes like putting together Legos. If you don't know what a Lego is, how about a Lincoln log, all right? He, uh, he writes with Lincoln logs. He, he takes great ideas in sentences. That's all. Mark will just, he's right to the point. And he builds these Legos. In other words, he begins with John the Baptist. Then he goes to the baptism, the divine qualification of Christ. Then he goes to the temptation, the moral qualification of Christ to be the Messiah. Then he goes to the offer of the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then you go now, he moves into Galilee. After the Judean ministry, he's been rejected. Now he goes to Galilee. And so Mark is just putting these Lincoln logs right in place. And he goes to Galilee. Um, oh, I think you saw it in like verse 16. And I'm going to throw something in right here in the, in the crevice of Mark that he doesn't write about that Luke does. But he doesn't immediately go to Capernaum. He goes to Nazareth, his hometown. And only Luke records this. And the reason, I, I almost thought about not doing Mark this morning and doing his initial annunciation in the synagogue. The synagogue was invented in the intertestamental period. You don't see the word synagogue in the Old Testament. Whenever Israel went into exile, they instinctively knew that they had to keep their culture together. And so they had a place of common instruction. The word G-O-G-U-E, gog, means to instruct. Pedagogy, to instruct a child. Synagogue means everybody is instructed the same. We're all on the same page. And so they would get together on, a, uh, on Sabbath. And it's believed that Ezra the scribe invented it to keep the nation together. In our day that we're in, the, a post-Christian world, is it important to be in church? Yeah, it's synagogue. You stay together, okay? And so the Jews would come together and they would speak Hebrew and they would look at Scripture and they would keep their traditions and their memories alive to which they do today. And the synagogue morphed into the local church. When Israel rejects Christ and goes into darkness, what came out of the synagogue were the faithful Jew and what were called the God-fearers, Gentiles that attended the synagogue because they were disgruntled with the polytheism of their day. And so the early church is going to come out of the synagogue. And that's why, if you want a good picture of it, the synagogue, well, Israel is the caterpillar. The cocoon was the synagogue. Christ called out of it a people, and they left, and they became a chrysalis. That's whenever a caterpillar becomes the early stage of a butterfly is a chrysalis. And they came to life and were transformed, and it became the local church. And so what we are, we are the chrysalis that emerged from the synagogue and became the temple of God. All right. And so that's what the synagogue corresponds to is the church. And so Christ goes to the synagogue in Nazareth. 
And he did something that is a synopsis of his entire ministry. You can teach the entire ministry of Christ by looking at what happened in that synagogue. He went to his hometown. What did Jesus say? A prophet is without honor in his own hometown among his own people. He goes to his hometown and he was a reader in the synagogue and he went forward and they had heard about him down in Judea. They had heard about him at Capernaum where he healed the nobleman's son, John chapter four. So they knew of him and miracles that he had done. And here this young man comes and he comes to the synagogue and as is his custom, quote unquote, he took the scroll and he read and he found the place of Isaiah 61 about the Jubilee of Messiah bringing redemption to Israel. And he read that text and he said, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. And the crowd said, what marvelous words, meaning doesn't he look good in that suit? That's what they said. They said, what a, what a fine, what a fine, how old are you, son? They had never heard anything like this. They were very impressed with the accoutrements of his glory. And Jesus said to them something very bold. He said, no doubt you will say to me, physician, heal thyself. What we heard done over in Capernaum, do here in your hometown, meaning your preaching is nice. We'd like to see some miracles. We'd like to see the power of Messiah bringing redemption. In other words, they were impressed with physical things and they wanted physical perks quick. Can that ever happen? That's the way you were and I was too. This stuff of the son of God is really good, but I need a wife. God, uh, this is so good about your, you know, giving your son to die on the cross, but uh, I need a raise, but I need uh, my sciatica fixed. And that's the way we are. Amen. Doug, you ought to be ashamed. Okay. <laughs> that's the way, that's the way I, and we can still be that way. And so they wanted perks. And so Jesus, that's gutsy preaching when everybody's complimenting you and you say, y'all shut up just a second. Boom. And he goes down deep. You better check your motive. And then he says to them, you know, there were many widows in the time of Elijah, but he didn't go to them. He went to the widow of Zarephath, a Gentile. He said, there were many lepers in the time of Elisha, but he didn't go to them. He went to uh, Naaman the Syrian. In other words, to a people that did not be attentive to the word of God, God passed them over and went to the Gentile. Does that sound familiar? And that's what Christ said. And so he said, y'all need to go deeper in what you think about me. And you know what the crowd did that loved him seconds earlier? They took him out to a hill and a cliff to throw him to his death. That's how you tip off that people don't like your preaching right there. They said, you're going to die. The apostle Paul said the same thing in the book of Acts. I'm now being sent to the Gentiles. And they said, quote, such a man as this should not be allowed to live. That God would 
replace us with the Gentile. And it said that Christ passed through their midst like the Red Sea and said, get out of the way, like Matt Dilla. Get out of the way, John Wayne. And he just walked out, it's not my time. Now you say, why is that a synopsis of Christ? You ready? He, the, who is the gospel priest to? To the Jew first. He comes to the Jew and he says, I am the biblical Messiah. Secondly, they're all impressed with his marvelous claims to power of what he can do. Number three, he said, you better check your heart versus your spiritual needs of repentance. Number four, men don't like that. Amen. We don't like that. And he said, if you don't, I'm going to the Gentile. Did that happen? Look around. And they said, we're going to reject you and put you to death. And he passed through their midst and went on his way. And so there is the ministry of Christ. Isn't that a good story? And so now in verse 21, after this rejection at Nazareth, he goes to Capernaum. It's a city that is right on the Sea of Galilee. It's where fishermen would go. And it is a friendlier place. It's where Peter, Andrew, James, and John apparently were from Bethsaida, and they moved to, uh, they, they lived in Crum, and they moved to Denton. Okay. They went to Capernaum. If you ever take a trip to Israel, you'll go to a synagogue that's the most intact synagogue of the day, and it's in Capernaum. It's where Jesus would have attended. Uh, they're in Magdala. Both of them have synagogues that are intact. In and so he goes to Capernaum, where it's friendlier. He had done a miracle over a nobleman's son. There's going to be a, a centurion come to Jesus, and then the Jews are going to say, he built our synagogue. He's got a sick servant. Could you help him? And so it was more of an affable kind of a people that were there in Capernaum. And what he did in verse 21 is it said immediately on the Sabbath, he entered and he began to, you see the last word of verse 21? He began to teach. That was Jesus's great love was teaching because he goes to the Old Testament and he clarifies it. And he calls Israel away from the error of their day. The traditions that no one studied the Bible anymore. You studied what the tradition said the Bible meant. Not to be too tacky here, but it's like when you go to a Catholic service. They're not going to teach you the Bible because that's irreverent. All the interpretations have been made. They teach you, what, teach you what the popes have said about it, but you don't study the Bible, and you're not supposed to read it. And so Christ went to sola scriptura. He went to the Bible because that was his love, was to watch the lights come on for people about God. Uh, and what he would do is he would have doctrine, reproof, correction, and training. Sound familiar? All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training. Reproof, that's bad. Correction, we're going to change. Training, we're going to make this a part of your new life. And that's what Jesus loved to do.
And as a result, in verse 22, they were amazed. That's the Greek word used for a miracle. When something happens that you've never seen before, they were amazed. And here's why they were amazed. He was teaching them as having authority, not as the scribes. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus parroted the scribes? You've heard it was said, but I say to you, and then he gave them the true scoop on the Old Testament. This is what it means. You've heard it was said, Jesus said about the scribes. Uh, he said, uh, in vain do they worship me, teaching as their doctrines the traditions of men. And so Jesus went to the Bible. In this sense, he is a reformer. You dig? Reform. When Martin Luther got saved, you know how Martin Luther got saved? He was slowly losing his mind as a Catholic monk because he was trying to earn the salvation of God. And he started to become so um, down, depressed, and broken that they did what you do with a man when he starts to lose it. They made him a college professor. And they sent him to Wittenberg. And there at Wittenberg, they, he had to do something to relieve, get the pressure off. They say he had to teach the Bible. He had to teach the letters of Paul. Problem was, he'd never read them. Because if you're a Catholic, you're not supposed to read your Bible. Y'all know that, don't you? You're not supposed to read your Bible. That's rude. They will tell you what the Bible says. Don't you go to it yourself. That way you can keep order. And so Luther picked up a Bible. And he had to teach the book of Romans. And so he figured, I better read the book of Romans. And he got to chapter one. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation because in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Luther said, I hated the righteousness of God. It was a standard I could not achieve. He said in the gospel, your being righteous before God is revealed. It's given to you. It's a gift. He could not figure it out until it occurred. You don't earn salvation. It's given. And he thought, Ain't that something? And he got converted. And he started teaching in his classes. He put aside everything and he said, gentlemen. And pretty soon he started teaching in a chapel. And pretty soon everybody in Wittenberg crowded out the students. Which is still easy to happen. Okay. Because the, the people of the, the land said, there's a guy teaching the Bible. And they packed it out. When Ulrich Zwingli got converted, he was a priest up in Zurich. He started, you know how he got converted? He got the Black Plague and he survived. No better evangelistic tool than the Black Death. <laughs> and uh, he had also gotten a girl pregnant and uh, shamed him greatly. And so he had physical fear and moral failure. And he began studying what was called the book of Matthew and got converted and started teaching in his church what had never been done. He said, I'm going to read to you Matthew. And he started teaching Matthew. And everybody wanted to come to his church because no one had ever taught the Bible. John Calvin uh, would teach every day in uh, Geneva. Uh, and people would pack out to hear him because he taught the Bible. Are you with me? 
Whenever people find out the Bible, we still hear this at Denton Bible. People get come and they said, I am amazed. What? Everybody brings one of those uh, Bibles. Yeah. <laughs> they bring Bibles. Yeah. And y'all, y'all actually read them. And you don't just read from it and then close it and tell them what you think about God. You actually explain the scripture. I said, yeah, I am brilliant. What can I say? <laughs> yeah. Whenever you have a word from God, you probably don't want to add to it. Okay. Just explain it. That's all you got to do. Just explain it. And so that's what Jesus did. Whenever this happens in history, you see revival, incidentally. When people start explaining the Bible. Because there's nothing more fascinating than God. And especially if God tells you who he is. And so he starts teaching. And in verse 23 and 24, this is a very rude way to interrupt your service. There was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. The Greek says he was demonized. The term demon possession wasn't invented until about the, uh, about the second century AD. It's simply he was demonized. And he cried out in verse 24. Uh, now the question is, why does he cry out in the synagogue? What's a demonized guy doing attending synagogue? Because, and the reason he cries out is because he's perfectly at home in the synagogue until right now when somebody starts rubbing him the wrong way. Uh, In the book of Revelation, you know what Jesus calls, and this is not to be politically incorrect, but Jesus tend to bend that way. What Jesus called the synagogue in the book of Revelation, he called it the synagogue of Satan. Jesus said of the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. John the Baptist saw the Pharisees and said, you brood of vipers. I've never called anybody a son of a snake. But that's what John the Baptist did. Not good homiletical principle, but that's what he did. Jesus said, you stone the prophet and you kill those sent to you. And so the synagogue had been commandeered by the devil. They were no longer teaching the Bible. Israel had fallen into a new idolatry, not with making God into an animal. They had had that purged from them by the Babylonian, Persian, and Greek, and Roman captivity. But what they did was they changed the Bible where the law became the rungs on the ladder by which you achieved heaven. And they lost. That's why when Paul took you back to the gospel, he did basically in the book of Romans a Bible study of Genesis. Did y'all know that? Romans is a study in Genesis. He takes you back to the foundations. And so Satan is in the synagogue. Can that ever happen that the historic great institution of God gets overtaken by the devil? Have you ever heard of the Middle Ages? It happened. And so Satan is in the synagogue, and now all of a sudden, here comes the light of the world, and he hits the lights. And this demon that had been perfectly at home, is it possible for evil men to be perfectly at home in the church? It can. All of a sudden, He runs this rasp over it, and he hits a nerve, and this demon cries out, I know who you are, 
Jesus of Nazareth, Holy One of God, have you come to destroy us? First John says this. Matter of fact, I want you to see this, okay? Keep your finger right there and take a look at 1 John 4. Go to your right to 1 John chapter 4. There was a lot, and John writes way late in the New Testament. And at this time, the gospel is beginning to be overrun by the barbarian. Y'all ever heard of Platonic Gnosticism? Don't worry about it. It had now made the gospel a golden calf. Christians, just like Jews, would make God into an animal, an idol. Christians will synthesize God with philosophy. Are there churches out there that are homosexual churches? Where do they get that? They have just wed Christianity to the spirit of our age. Are there, Christian, are there churches out there that are egalitarianism, that see men and women on an equal place and that women pastor in the church? Where do they get that? That's not the Bible. That's our day. And so we've changed it to fit our day. And we've always done this. And so John writes to this synthesizing problem. And uh, not synthesizing, syncretizing. He, he writes to that problem. And in 1 John chapter 4, he says... Verse 4, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them, meaning the false teachers. In context, you're not at the mercy of what some pagan tells you who God is. Because we can, as Job said, we can taste truth like the tongue tastes food. And we know that ain't right. And that's good. We can taste it. Jesus said, the sheep hear my voice. Another they will not follow. They follow me. Whenever you go to a place and you hear error, you walk away going, that's not right. Something's wrong there. When you go to a place where the word of God is extolled and Christ is exalted, you come away going, man, that was some good stuff. It just tastes right to you. And so in verse 4, he said, you've overcome them because greater is he who is, what's the preposition? In you. Christianity is not just an ascription to categorical theological ideas. There's a change in your heart. You can taste it now. People always ask me, how do we know that was in the Bible and that was not? Answer, Christians knew. They could taste it. They knew the shepherd's voice. You ever read Bell and the Dragon? It's part of the Apocrypha. You hadn't read it. You know why? It's chalk. When you read Romans, it's cheese. All right. We can tell the difference. And so in verse uh, 4, greater is he that is in you, God, than he that is in the world. Satan, he's the one behind it. In verse 5, they are from the world. That's their origin. That's where their ideas come from. Not from God, but from Plato, Socrates, and the like. The Epicureans, the Stoics, Austin. They are from the world. Therefore, their sermons are from the world. They speak as from the world. Do you expect an unconverted man to preach on Romans? No, they're going to preach on what they know and they like. And the world listens to them. 
That's the only audience they're going to get, are pagans. Verse 6, we are from God. The we here is talking about John and the apostolic company that taught them. We happen to be God's servants. He that knows God listens to us. Doug Barber, I remember when you first started coming to Denton Bible, boy, you couldn't get enough. You're still that way. You know why? Because you heard a holy man of God. <laughs> and then he quit, and I came to church working. <laughs> now, Doug beat our door down because we taught the word. Oh, Don McQuinney drug you, you remember? And all of a sudden, you had a drug problem. We drug you to church and drug you to Bible study. And you heard the word, and you said, man, that's great. It's because you were converted, and you heard the word of God. He that is not from God does not listen to us. That we, a lot of times I've seen guys will bring visitors to church that are in abject defiance of God. Philosophically, theologically, morally, sexually, maritally, economically, they are in defiance to God. And they will sit and listen until all of a sudden the Bible is taught and they react just like this demoniac. Go back over here to the Gospel of Mark. He was okay as long as human ideas were taught, as long as moral humanism was taught. But all of a sudden, Jesus busted open Isaiah, and this demon said, I got to get out of here. And so you watch people's fangs come out when they hear the Bible taught. Y'all know what anabuse is? A-N-A-B-U-S-E. If you want to quit drinking and you go to the Schick Center, all right, they give you an injection of anabuse. It is a drug that you can't tell when you get it that you got it. But it reacts to alcohol. And so they give you this shot. This is the Schick Center. Whenever they, you have the intervention and you look up, that's where you are, Okay. Skip, are you with me? <laughs> and then they're going to bring out a big tray of Southern Comfort, Old Milwaukee, Mad Dog 40, Slits Malt Liquor. Which would you like? Is this for free? It's all on us. And then you quaff it on down. And you say, that was pretty good until it hits your system and it reacts to an abuse. And then, let me just say, you will hurl that liquor as far as you can over like a three-hour period. And they say, how'd you like that? That was terrible. Let's do it again. And that's the way you quit drinking. They basically beat you to death for a week. All right. Well, the gospel is pure Southern comfort. It is straight moonshine. It's, a, it's on fire. If you have got rebellion against God in you, you've got an abuse. And you don't know that you hate God until you hear the word. And then you're going to fight to get out of here. And that's what happened in this synagogue. Uh, Jesus preached and this guy reacted to it. And if you'll notice in verse 24, there may have been error in the synagogue, but there's two guys that know the truth. Who are they? Jesus and the demon. The demon knows the truth. 
you will never find Satan saying unto God error. He will say unto men lies, but he will never say unto God a lie. There's no use lying to an infinite person. And so Satan says, the Hebrew says, what to me and thee? It's a Hebrew idiom. It means we have nothing in common. Incidentally, you know where else it's mentioned in the New Testament? It's what Jesus said to Mary when she asked him to, they have no wine. Could you step up and be Messiah right now? And Jesus said, what to me and thee? Meaning, I'm beginning my ministry. I'm infinitely removed from you, mama. So I don't check your daytimer. Okay. What to me and thee? And it's what he says to the demon here. Or the demon says, what to me and thee? God is, Christ is called the Holy One. He has no truck with evil. And the demon understands that. Humans might compromise, but the demons know you can't. And so he says, what to me and thee? Meaning, I can't sit in this service and listen to you. That's why, let me give you a good instruction from the pit of hell. If you're in here this morning and there is moral, sexual, theological compromise and rebellion, God will say to you, what to me and thee? We have nothing in common. And you're going to have to change. I'm not going to change. You're going to have to change. And so that demon says, I can't sit with you preaching this stuff. And in verse 24, he knows who he is, Jesus of Nazareth. He knows he is a man, and he knows where he's from. We've been keeping tabs on you. Satan's uh, secret service here, they know who he is. We've watched you for a long time. Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? Meaning, I know why you're here. You're not here to be a political redeemer of Israel. I know exactly why you're here. As a matter of fact, you know that John quoted the devil in the book of John, 1 John. He said, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, just like the demon said. You're here to change man's heart and to redeem him from us. He's our possession. Jesus, you leave him alone. And in verse 24, you're not only man, but I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. You are, let me ask you folks, is Jesus Christ fully God? Is he fully man? Yes. Did he come to redeem man from Satan? Yes. Thus says the devil. So Satan understands fully who it is that Jesus is. You can't be the greatest deceiver in the world unless you're the greatest theologian. You do? If you don't know the Bible, you can't lead men into error. Uh, if you don't study your Bible, you can't be a good demon. Otherwise, you'll erroneously lead people into orthodoxy. And so Satan knows his Bible. And so, verse 24, you have come to destroy us. Verse 25, the Bible says, Jesus, it's the Greek word muzzled him. You ever see that text where it says, Jesus said unto the winds and the waves, be still, hush, be still. It's the same word. Be muzzled. Why does he say this? Because there is nothing common between them. 
In other words, I will be announced by John the Baptist, by the Bible, by the Father, and by the Holy Spirit. I will not be announced by you. You remember in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul was in Philippi, and there was a woman that had a demon of fortune-telling. The Greek says she had a python spirit. It was felt to the Greeks that Apollos uh, could tell the future, and he manifested himself through a serpent. And uh, the spirit, the Delphic oracle, had the python spirit. And so the Greek text says in Acts 16 that a woman had a python spirit, literally, that uh, uh, Apollos was speaking through her. And you know what she was saying? She said, these men are servants of the Most High God. They have come here uh, announcing the way of salvation. They said the truth. And it said that Paul was annoyed and said, hush, come out of her. Why was he annoyed? Because, you know, if we got a call from Penthouse Magazine that they wanted to make us part of their advertising and they wanted to pay for it and give us a billboard, I would say, what to me and thee? I don't want a word coming out of your mouth about us. Don't you tell anybody that you know who we are. And so Jesus said, I will not be announced by evil. You're fired. And so in verse 26, demons don't give up their own willingly. It's a war throwing him into convulsions. The unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out. And in verse 27, they were all, you see the word again? Amazed. We've never seen this. What are they amazed at? What is this teaching, a new teaching with authority? Verse 22, having authority. The first authority meant the nature of your teaching is thus saith the Lord. You go straight to the book. The second authority is not just the nature of your teaching, but the power of your teaching. That one word from you and Satan bows down. And as a result, in verse 27, so that they, what's your verb? Debated. Whenever Christ makes himself known, men have to make a decision. They debated. Remember Christ said, who do men say that I am? Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets. Who do you say? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. There's always debate on Jesus. Would you agree with that? Wait, well, watch during the Christmas season. There is more balona'ai that comes down the pike every time you turn on a ge National Geographic special and there's some guy from Princeton telling you who Jesus is. No, he evokes debate. Is this man God? Yes. I think he's an alien. Makes perfect sense. All right. You get different ideas on him because the biblical idea is so radical that God has become one of us. And so they debated this. And it's a new teaching with authority. He says one word and evil is gone. That's why, just a second, the miracles of Jesus are called semions. S-E-M. Uh, 
E-I-O-N-E-S, Simeons, and it means a sign. His miracles are not, he didn't come just to be, you know, the welcome wagon and, and a, a health clinic. He wasn't meals on wheels. He came and did miracles as Simeons, signs, that there's a higher reality. Do you remember when he said to them, the miracles that I do, greater shall you do? He was not talking about physical miracles, but what the miracles entailed. He healed the blind. You know what's greater than giving you physical sight? Is giving you spiritual sight, where you can see now the truth. What's better than having your ears opened is to have your, where you can now hear the Bible. You can hear the voice of God. Uh, what is better than having leprosy healed is where you no longer spiritually are outside the tabernacle where you can approach God. What's better than having your muteness healed is that, you know, when I was a pagan, I could talk a blue streak, but I could not tell you about God because I couldn't hear God. I couldn't see God. And so greater miracles shall you do. Doug, when you lead one guy to Christ, you have surpassed all of the apostles because they now have not physical this, physical that, they have a greater miracle. Men are made new. And so they said, this is one that has authority. And as a result of saying, this fellow not only can tell you the truth of God, this fellow can turn your life a 180. Amen? He can turn you around. And we've never seen anybody that can get hold of your soul like this guy and make men new like this guy. One time I was in Trophy Club, a year back in the 80s, doing a Bible study, and there was this Jewish girl there. She was the sweetest thing. Her name was Rose. She, was, she had one lung. Uh, she had had a a disease, and she had one lung. She passed away shortly thereafter, but she was there at the study, and she had the most gentle spirit and just loved the Lord. She was a completed Jew, and I was visiting with her, and she looked like somebody off Little House on the Prairie, you know what I'm saying? Just had a purity to her, and I said, Rose, where, where are you from? I'm from up north, from Michigan originally. What did you, what did you do for a living up there? I lived with one of the Black Panthers and I stacked ammunition for the, revo the revolution. Really? <laughs> What'd you do for a living? I wrote pornography. You wrote pornography? Yeah. I was a Methodist. And uh, I used to stay out late a lot. I mean, this girl had had her life turned around, and I just stared at her. I'm looking at a pornographer, and God had turned her around. Isn't that amazing? And as a result, in verse 28, immediately the news about him spread. This guy knows the Bible, and this guy can put it in your heart. He can turn you around. You know, y'all may have heard this story before, but uh, when I 
was in college, uh, we played the University of Arkansas. And uh, I went in, I was, didn't start, and I came in the second half, and I was hot. I hit about nine out of nine. I moved us down for a touchdown. I was phenomenal. Okay. And uh, I was in the last deal. I was doing a two-minute drive, and this linebacker came through. He blitzed, and he grabbed me, not by the face guard. He grabbed me by the helmet, which is technically legal, but it's immoral to do that. He grabbed me by the headgear, and he threw me, okay, in front of 30,000 people at a freshman game, threw me. And so I waited till a couple of guys had a good hold on him, you know. Then I hit him, okay, and then ran. And he cursed me, and I cursed him, and he said to me, after the game, you just be waiting down here, pal. It's a freshman game. You could do that. And I said, yeah, I'll be there. He's still down there. All right. I'm going to show up. I got down there. I had a hothead, but it wasn't empty. All right. I'll be down there. Well, leave that situation. Go now to about 19... About 1988, years later, 20 years later. And I'm speaking at an FCA a leaders conference in uh, Hardin-Simmons University with high school kids that were leaders in the FCA. And I'm teaching. And there's a guy that leads in worship. His name was Link Fuller. He was the AD at, uh, in Mesquite. And he was just good on a guitar, and he's leading them in songs. I had kind of a country western flair, and he was just good. And he and I got close, just talking about how, what Christ had done in our life. And I, we're about the same age. And I said, uh, "When did you come to the Lord?" He said, "I came to the Lord in the FCA." I said, "Really?" I said, "You play ball?" Yeah. I said, "Where'd you play at?" Arkansas. Really? What year? Oh, '69, '73. You remember playing the North Texas State Eagles? He said, I do. I seem like we beat you. Yeah, you beat us pretty good. What positions do you play, linebacker? I'm looking at him. I said, I've seen that face before. I said, do you remember at the end of that? Well, I did ask him. I said, what linebacker did you play? He said, I was right in the middle. That was the one. I said, uh, you start? Oh, yeah, yeah. Said, you remember during that game having a confrontation with a quarterback and him cussing you and you cussing him? And he went, Yeah. <laughs> and he went just like this. He goes, That was you. I said, Yeah. And we laughed because here were two guys that cursed each other, and now one's teaching about Christ and the other's worshiping him. And so he said to me, he said, I think God saved us as a practical joke on hell. <laughs> Can God do that? You know, sociology, philosophy, science, politics, education, whatever, they got a lot of theories on how they're going to fix men. But they don't work. The gospel works. That's why I would rather fail forever heralding the Word of God wherever I was than I would to succeed for an hour any place else.
Father in heaven, thank you for a marvelous time in your word. And uh, we see that Satan can commandeer a culture. And the word of God, as it is proclaimed, it, is, uh, it reacts to sin. And men don't like it. And yet our Lord, whether it's at Nazareth, whether it's at Jerusalem, whether it is in Capernaum, he will not back off. He will not stop. He will not apologize. He will not take a step back. He will speak clear and straight to the Word of God. That men cannot know what life is because they don't know its meaning. And that meaning will only come from the infinite personal God of the Bible. A God that men are intuitively aware of through their hearts and through nature, but they will not submit to. And a God who has revealed himself very clearly, not just in conscience and nature, but in the word of God. And man has a testimony before him of who God is, and that is his only hope of being reconnected to reality. And the object of all of that Bible is the anticipation, the manifestation, the proclamation, the explanation, and the revelation of Jesus Christ. And until man will yield to that, he's never going to fix this thing. We alone can make men new. But whenever it is preached, it is, man has, is an abuse to it. He cannot stomach a fact that God is noetically and, and mentally and, and spiritually above him. He cannot stomach that he is weak. He cannot stomach that he is lost and that he is impotent. He cannot stomach the fact the reason he has messed this thing up is because of him. And thus he will not come unless you call him. And so you have given us the shepherd's voice. Might we be faithful to that end? In Jesus' name.